Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. So we're starting to talk about this wonderful question. <laughs> but as we do this thing, as we talk about the douchebaggery that is and present, I just want to see how many times I can use the word douchebag in this message. I really do. As we do this, we all have that one person in our mind that we've thought about from time to time. Man, I really just want to share about Jesus with them. I really just want to talk to them about it. And it might be really freaky, right? It might be this moment where you're just like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that. But there's somebody in the back of your head tucked away. And so what I want to ask you to do this morning as we jump into this is hold that person in your mind as the lens through which we talk through all of this stuff this morning. That way you have a real applicable point as we're, as we're talking through these things. So as we do this, let's take a moment and pray. And as I'm praying, maybe it takes you a moment to think of that person, okay, that you don't want to be a douchebag to. That's three times, I think. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this chance that we have to gather together as a new faith community here in this city, in this neighborhood, seeking desperately to embody your grace and your love and your mercy to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Lord, may we be a people that are not ashamed or not uh, tepid or um, frightened to share about who you are, but Father, that we would do it boldly but in the midst of that boldness, we're wise about it and we're loving. That love would be the operating factor with which we work and which we talk and in which we relate to others. So, Father, we lift up this time to you this morning and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I go to a lot of Sounders games. It's part of my thing. It's what I like to do. But every time I go... There's always a group of people that are standing there with their protest signs. But they're not the normal type of protest signs. They're these protest signs. Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent. Turn from your sin. Read your Bible. Time is running out. And then this is my favorite. Like this is, this is on Edgar Martinez Drive right in front of Safeco. Uh, it's, it's not just the Jesus Christ is Lord and repent guy, but it's the Dream Girls guy with the exact same looking sign. Dream Girls is the strip club right next door to like Safeco. And it's just as naked as natural. And he's got Bible verses written on there as well, which is really humorous as he promotes the strip club in contrast to the guy that is telling people to repent and turn from their sin. You've probably seen these people with their big gigantic protest signs more than just outside of Mariners games or Seahawks games or Sounders games. They were at the starting line of the torchlight race the uh, earlier this summer when, when I was getting ready to run the torchlight race which was pretty awesome because you got to run across the Alaskan Way viaduct for like the last time before they implode that sucker in January they were there and it wasn't just one dude it was like 17 people with giant signs and bullhorns yelling at you to repent and run the race, like just twisting and cavorting scripture in all these different ways so that you would then give your life to Jesus in that very moment right before you're ready to run a race, right? Like it just doesn't 
make sense. How people think that works in some fashion or way, shape, or form, but we've all seen these people, which makes today's question, how do you talk about Jesus without being a douchebag, a really good topic of conversation. When I was in college studying to be a pastor, I was a waiter at a, at a decent restaurant. Like it wasn't, it wasn't super fancy, but it was one of the higher-end restaurants of the town in which I was, was uh, working. And it was always Sunday morning was when everybody that worked there never wanted to work. And I never understood why everybody was always trying to give away their Sunday morning shift. Like, like you, you, were, you were to arrive at 10.30 in the morning, and you would usually be done by 1 o'clock. Like, it was, a, it was a really short shift, and usually short shifts meant you made a lot of money. Like, it was super busy for a really short amount of time, and then you were done for the day. And it, it wasn't beyond reason that with my $2.09 minimum wage waiter, like, salary... $2.09 per hour. It was amazing. Somehow the tips were supposed to make up the other part to get to the $4.75. That was minimum wage when I was in college, everybody. This $15 an hour stuff, wow, that would have been amazing, right? Anyhow, anyhow, $2.09. Like, we, it, it, was, it was great. You would make like $100 an hour or like a night. Like, it was, it was a really good sort of gig, like, to, to be a waiter. And so these Sunday morning shifts, I was like, gosh, it's short. I'll make good money. And I started asking people, like, hey, why are you, why are you giving up your Sunday morning shift? Like, why don't you want to work this? And I worked with a lot of single moms. I worked with a lot of, uh, a, a lot of other college students kind of thing. And the, the, the answer was always the same. I ain't working the church crowd. Why, why not? Why aren't you working the church crowd? What's wrong with the church crowd? Let me, let me just begin, would be the, would be the response. I'd be like, oh, okay. They're like, they don't tip, like, ever. Like, there's no tipping whatsoever that comes. They're rude. They're entitled. They always want you to be their servant. Like, they treat you like a servant. And not only that, but their kids, when they bring in their kids, oh dear me, the amount of mess that is under the table after that table leaves, after being there for an hour and 45 minutes, your goal was to always flip a table in 45 minutes. Like what could you do to flip a table in 45 minutes so that you made more money, right? More, more tables meant more tips. They always stay for an hour and 45 minutes. And then when they're done, you spend 15 minutes cleaning up the table because there's nothing but junk underneath it, all the garbage and everything. And I was like, can't be right. There's no way, right? So I was like, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take your shift. So I remember the first time I worked a Sunday morning, there was this one table. There was this one table. It was a family of five, and they had me running all over the place. I mean, I was literally breaking a sweat just trying to take care of them, to make sure that they had the greatest possible opportunity or like, like service, the greatest time that they could after church. They were dressed to the nines. They were just terrible, terrible, terrible people to me. Like it was awful. And I'll never forget when I got finished with the table, I was like, okay, there's, like, that was a lot of work. It was an hour and a half. So it was a little shorter than the hour 45, right? It, it was an hour and a half of just work, 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 like without a break. And I think, oh, they're totally going to tip me okay. Like, I'll at least get the 
but, but, but well, 15%. That's what I was really hoping for. It was like 15%. So I go to the table, and I open up the book, and it was like a $40 tab, right? So I, I open up the book, and I see a $10 bill. I was like, see, Christian's tip. Like, <laughs> these people, Psh! I at least got the, you know, the 20 plus percent. Like, this is, this is great. So I, I, I grab the $10 bill. I grab the, the, the credit card receipt, and I, I shove it in my, like, my little apron waist thing. And I grab the $10 bill, and as I pull it out, I notice that is not a $10 bill. I unfold it, and it's this shorty. Like, it's like this little tiny rectangle of a thing telling me how I need Jesus. And how if I don't know Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. I have not been more angry at a customer <laughs> in my life. I had just seen them leave. They, they left pretty quick after they stuffed it in the thing and then, then kind of bolted. I grabbed the thing. I, I grabbed it, and I ran after them, and I chased them. Down. I'd never done this before. I'd never been more upset, never in my life. I chased them down, and I said, excuse me, I think you left this. They go, oh, no, that's for you, honey. I said, I, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm actually a Christian. And they're like, okay, like, because I'm working on a Sunday morning, right? I'm working on a Sunday morning, so I'm not a Christian because I didn't go to church. I said, it's like 1130. I got here at 1030. I went to the early service, like an 8 o'clock service at our church. I, I'm actually at Lincoln Christian College studying to be a pastor. And what you just did right here was one of the most terrible things I've ever seen that you would have done to someone. There's a reason why the people at this restaurant don't want to work on Sunday mornings, and it's people like you. And I, I laid into them. I, I mean, for probably a good two to three minutes. I never saw them again. It probably wasn't the kindest, most loving thing I've ever but I really laid into it. I was so angry, and I was so frustrated, not just because of what they had done to me. And I really wanted to make them feel guilt. I really wanted to make them feel shame. It wasn't so much about me, but it was also about the other people that I was working with that wanted nothing to do with Christians because of that. So the question how do you talk with people about Jesus without being a douchebag? The first part of this question we have to ask ourselves is, are you a douchebag? <laughs> yes or no? I'll give you a moment and, and just circle it in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. Just circle it in your head. Are you a douchebag? Yes or no? Choose your own adventure here. Now, let's just say... For the, for the sake of argument, that you actually circled yes. Let's just say that, that, that you're here and you circled yes. I would just want to applaud you at the moment for being very, you know, honest with yourself. Uh, good job. Like, that's the first step to not being a douchebag. <laughs> the first step to not being a douchebag is to acknowledge that you are a douchebag. I think I'm up to 10, I think. Eight? Yes. Nine? Oh, this is good. Keep, keep, the, keep the tally. Keep the tally. I don't have a goal, but I'm just really excited to see where it goes. I'm just really excited. So, so if you've circled yes, I'm really proud of you. I'm, I'm really proud of you for acknowledging your self-awareness that you're there. And let, let me just say, there's this comic strip. This is how you're received. You 
won't go to heaven if you don't believe in God with a, with a stern point of view. What's in heaven? People like me. You really need to work on your threats, right? This is the time, if you're a douchebag and you're talking to people about Jesus in this way, shape, or form, we're not really doing anything good or positive in any way, shape, or form to like draw people towards Jesus. You're no better if this is the conversation that you're having with a coworker or a family member or an individual of any shape. You're no different than the people on the street with the signs. In fact, I would say that this might actually be worse because you're in relationship with them. You at least know them in some way, shape, or form. You actually have had conversations with them other than just shouting through a bullhorn or passing out tracks left and right. But you have actually created something a little bit more uh, frightening. <clears throat> Pew just recently released this, uh, these statistics that I, that I think is really fascinating. The, the question that they asked was, this is the growing share who say belief in God is not necessary to have good values or to be moral. So it used to be pretty even, 49%, 48%, not necessary or necessary to believe in God to have good morals and values. It is now 56% of people believe that it is not necessary to believe in God to have good morals and values, and 42% believe that it's necessary. You can kind of extrapolate this out into the, the times that we live in where like belief in God is waning as people kind of are, are moving more and more away from this understanding of who God is. But I might actually argue that the reason why the numbers are separating like that is because of how Christians are acting and living in the world today. Because of how we are treating our neighbors. Because of the conversations that we're having without grace, without love, without peace, and people are seeing non-Christians, those that don't believe in God, that don't believe in Jesus, they're seeing them as like, you're better than a Christian. I don't think I need God. Like our representation of Jesus in our lives is not that great. In fact, I would argue that if you're a douchebag, if you have douchebag Christianity as a part of your thing, that what's actually taking place here is uh, there's this, this beautiful piece of art by Banksy. Uh, uh, I call it Grappling Hook Jesus, which I think is really fun. It's Grappling Hook Jesus. But I think this is what we try and do when we reach out to people. When we try and tell them about who Jesus is, we use this grappling hook sort of mentality. But what's really funny about this is the grappling hook is really sharp and really pointy. And you're really grabbing tight and you're piercing people with the words that we use, with the ways in which we talk about who he is and how loving and how caring he is doesn't matter because we've turned it into a grappling hook. So the question is, are you a douchebag? I'm hoping that you circled no in your head. That's what I'm hoping is that you circled no within your head, that you are not a douchebag. I've met a lot of people in my life that are not douchebags. A lot of people. It's really easy. I mean, it really is. But the way in which it starts to not being a douchebag is to actually begin caring for others, to actually have love as the central force of your life, that the way in which you relate to people, the way in which you talk with people, the way in which you care for people is all driven out of a sense of love for them, love 
for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, I'll use the message version because it's, you know, in honor of Eugene Peterson who passed away this past week. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. I, I, I think that scripture is actually kind of kind here. Like in, in the NIV or in a lot of other translations, it's like a gong or a resounding symbol. That we're just this really loud thing. If we don't have love in how we're talking with people and how we're relating to people, it's like this really like, like eardrum shattering sound that's just like, ah. Or the rusty gate has that creak to it that you're just like, oh my goodness, that's annoying. Right? It's like this really annoying sound that you're just like, oh, it's, it's like nails on a chalkboard. You could even use that as a sound. It's a sound that is not good. It's a sound that's not pleasant. It's a sound that's not great or wonderful. It's a sound. But I think that scripture is actually a little bit kind in this regard because I would say that if we speak with beautiful words and beautiful language about everything, but we don't have love, what we're actually doing is we're piercing people. We're grappling hook Jesus, right? We're piercing people. We're creating wounds. We're creating injuries. We're creating pain. We're creating trauma in their life that is actually making them recoil just a little bit to get away from this Jesus, to get away from this idea of this loving, grace-filled God. If we speak with all these words, if we stand with a bullhorn, if we pass out tracts, if we do all of those things to kind of communicate who Jesus is, we're causing injury. But we're in the second part of the question, right? You're not the douchebag. You're not the one that is out there screaming and extolling that the, the, the world is going to burn and you are going to burn with it if you don't know who Jesus is. We're not those people. I'm, I'm guessing that everybody circled no in their head in this moment. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm guessing. And I'm giving you all the benefit of the doubt, right? We still create problems for people to see who Jesus is when we don't act out of love towards others. We create moments of pain. We create moments of trauma when we don't act out of love towards others. We push people away. It was probably six or seven years ago. The Patriots were in the Super Bowl, that's all I know which could have been any Super Bowl in the past decade. The Patriots were in the Super Bowl. Oh, it was the Patriots and the Giants. That, that was the Super Bowl. It was the Patriots-Giants one. And I, my friend Baldo was sitting next to me. And Baldo and I had been talking about who Jesus was for quite a while. I mean, we'd been talking about it. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I think I'm ready to, to cross over the threshold and, like, get baptized. Like, he was, he was there. And I was like, oh, that's all right. So I was like, hey, we'll have this conversation in a couple of weeks kind of thing. Like, I want you to do these, like, read through some of this stuff. Like, let's have the, that real, like, come to faith sort of conversation in a couple of weeks. He was like, yes, I want to do that. So we're sitting down at the Super Bowl, and 
uh, watching it on TV. It was a party. There was probably 20 or 30 people there. And of course, everybody was rooting for the Patriots, not just because it was the Patriots and they were 16-0 and and they were going for this completely undefeated season, but also because Tom Brady was a local hero. We were down in the Bay Area. This is We were living in San Francisco at the time, and, and Tom Brady was, is from San Mateo, so like just, just south of the city. And so everybody was kind of rooting for the hometown kid at this moment, and I wanted to be the contrarian, right? Because... Who cares about Tom Brady? <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Right? Like, I just didn't care. And, and so I was rooting for Eli. I don't know why, because Eli is not a great quarterback either, but I was rooting for the Giants. And in the midst of this, like, the game started to turn towards the Giants, and I didn't let up on my rooting for the Giants. I, I mean, I kind of just started kind of kind of nudging Baldo. I was like, oh, look at Tom. He's so terrible. I was just giving him a really, really hard time. There was no love in what I was doing in any way, shape, or form. I was, I mean, I was rubbing it in that the Patriots were losing, and I was rubbing it in hard, and I was the only one doing it. The game finished, and they lost. I was like, ah, they lost, right? Like, just like this real big, like, ah, Tom's over. The undefeated season is done. Way to go, Eli. Like, all this stuff. I, I was, I was over the top. Baldo was super quiet, and I didn't get the hint, right? I didn't get the hint that I had not only upset him, but had really, really kind of treated him pretty poorly just in like being a sports douche. I was the douchebag, right? It was about three days later, and I was supposed to sit down with, with Baldo just to, kind of, just to kind of talk, and he was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I was like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to do this anymore? Like, this, this whole Jesus thing. Like, are, are you serious? He's like, I can't get behind a Jesus that act like you did. I was like, it was a game. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Like, like all of a sudden, the whole moment, like, my, my face probably turned white. And I was like, oh, dear, what have I done? Right? Like, whole face white, like, just talking to him, like, oh, no, 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 no. Having this conversation over and over and over again. He was done. He left our church, everything. Like, he was done. Thankfully, thankfully, there's a happy ending to the story. A couple of years later, he did finally become a Christian at a different church down the road. We since buried the hatchet, all those sorts of things. However, I didn't even speak with human eloquence, Right? I didn't even speak flowery language. I was a douchebag. In all of our situations in life, we can have these moments where we flip the switch, where we flip the script, where we become the douchebag in our workplace, in our neighborhood, with our friends, with our family. And all of a sudden, Jesus is absent. And we create that trauma. We create that piercing. We create that pain that separates us from him. J.R. Woodward and Dan White, in their book, Church's Movement, wrote this. They said, evangelism works best in the context where it's an answer to a question. Evangelism works best in the context where it's an answer to a question. What I love about this quote is that it presupposes relationship. It presupposes that you're actually in relationship with people, that you're not standing out on a corner with a sign, that you're not passing out tracks to anyone that will walk by, but that you're actually in relationship and in conversation with people, that you're talking with them on a regular basis about their life, 
that you're listening well to what is taking place, all of the hurts and all of the joys and all of the celebrations and all of the despair that takes place in life, that you are there walking alongside of them. And in that moment that they have a question, you're able to then have a conversation. Evangelism works best in the context when it's an answer to a question. You see, I believe that Christianity is more caught than taught. Christianity is more caught than taught. That we live in a context of relationship with people. And we teach it, but we teach it through how we live, by being a different type of people. My friend Mike Frost talks about it like Christianity just needs to be weird. Christianity needs to be a weird thing where people see it as different and awkward and strange. But that's where it gets caught. Like, oh, but in that weirdness and in that strangeness, it's actually this really beautiful thing that is emerging, that is taking place, that is there, that is present, that this is who the church is. This is what we are about. But Christianity is more caught than taught. We can teach all the classes in the world, We can teach everybody everything that there is about the church, about Jesus, about scripture, about theology. But information does not equal transformation. Information just equals more information. Transformation happens in the life of a community, of living together as a people. That's why belonging has to come. Belonging has to come before believing. That we live this life together in relationship with people and that we create spaces of belonging where people can come in and where they can feel comfortable, where they can also be vulnerable to answer the question and say, yeah, I am kind of a douchebag. And they can answer it in the back of their head. They don't have to verbalize it, right? But belonging comes before believing, which means that evangelism is helping people to belong so that they can believe. Evangelism is helping people belong so that they can believe. No one wants to belong with douchebags, right? So the question, how do I talk about Jesus with people without being a douchebag? Keep ticking, Jen. Keep ticking. That's the, that's the goal. It's helping people to belong so that they can believe. It's helping people feel comfortable. It's helping people feel loved. It's helping people feel cared for. It's opening up our hearts to others so that our hearts can connect in relationship. Romans chapter 12, I think, puts it in a really good light. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and continuing says, Love must be sincere. Anybody can spot a douchebag. Anybody can spot a fake. Anybody can spot when you are not being authentic or real. Love must be sincere. It must actually be authentic. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. All of those things are what it means to create a space of belonging. 
Be hopeful. Be patient. Be faithful. Be joyful. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Here, here's what I love about the word harmony is if you're musical in any way, shape, or form, harmony is fought for. It doesn't just come. There's always a note. There's always a note that everybody is harmonizing towards. And somebody then goes a third step above, somebody goes a third step below. But you fight for it together to create harmony. Everyone has to move. If someone's pitch gets off, everyone either has to move towards that or that person has to come back. Harmony is not something that is just magical and happens and appears. It's something that you fight for in music. It's something that you have to create and work together to achieve. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, which creates disharmony, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I, I'm pretty sure that the actual Greek for that is a douchebag. That's why it's in brackets. <laughs> Don't be a douchebag, but live in this space of love, this created area, this created aura of love. And when we do that, when we create these types of communities, when we create this type of church, we look weird. We look strange because people see it as, well, that's not the Christianity that I see on the corner. That's not the Christianity that I see played out in the news. That's not the Christianity that my coworker, oh my goodness, what a douchebag, right? We create something different. We create this space that allows people to come in and experience something new, something beautiful. And in the midst, they get to see this Jesus that we have given our lives to, that we have decided has been so beautiful and so wonderful and so loving and so caring. And the people that are around us are experiencing with us this Jesus. Now I might say one last thing. How do you communicate who Jesus is without being a douchebag? The first part of that immediate question <clears throat> presupposes that we know who Jesus is. That we know what he has done for us. That we know that he cares for us. That we know that he loves us. That we know who he is at our very core. And that we are attempting to model our lives after him. That we're attempting to be conformed into the image of Jesus in our lives. And so for us as a people, that's what we do here. As a church, that's what spiritual formation is. We talked about that a little bit last week, that spiritual formation is us being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That together what we do is we are conforming ourselves into that image of Jesus, that we are diving deeper into understanding who he is, knowing him more and more at a relational level, not just an information level, but a relational level, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in reading, as we spend time in all of these places, understanding him more and more. Because when that happens, when we're transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, we see some of these stories begin to emerge where people come nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer because they see the beauty and the love 
and the amazing grace that is Jesus at work in our lives for the sake of others. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son. And we thank you for what it is that he has done for us. And we know that it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do to to communicate him well. But Father, I pray that we would be a bold people that are talking more and more about who this Jesus is with our friends, with our loved ones, with our coworkers, that we are finding spaces to be wise and injecting the, 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 the answers to the questions that are there and that are present. And Father, that we'd, we'd be a people that were willing to journey alongside our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors so, Father, we lift this up to you, and we ask that we would be those kinds of people. And it's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.